0: This podcast is brought to you by Voice of Vets. Voice of Vets. Hear it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel
1: it. Now, Oncle, me and you both reside in Africa, very proudly so. And first things first, we are already seeing the impact of COVID 19 on women and girls is profound. Women are disproportionately affected by lockdown, and this is resulting in a reduced access to health services, said Dr. Muleti from the WHO. Now, how has the pandemic affected women?
0: women in Africa. What is the doctor saying in this quote? Thank you so much, Sipa, for having me tonight. I think when we speak about how the pandemic has affected women, so we are talking about close to 70% of the labor force of this continent we know that most of that labor force is concentrated in the informal sector. So these are women who are already in precarious situations or conditions, who are living without formal social security, without access to health care that is equitable to their situations or even them themselves as their needs as women. I think the pandemic has really affected women very differently towards men, especially when it comes to... The access of social security, the access of healthcare, the access even of, um, when it comes to help in the home, household responsibilities in Africa still weigh heavy on women, and I think the pandemic, with the unemployment rates, with children staying at home, with more dependence, also being at home, women are now carrying that brand and that burden of not only having to provide for their co dependents but they are also scrambling their way through juggling different types of employments in the country that they can find in order for them just to make ends meet. And I think it would be unfair for us to think that the pandemic is affecting women and men in the same way when it's not. Because of the historical conditions when it comes to inequality between men and women, it has been dense and the gap has been growing wider and wider when it comes to pay, when it comes to employment opportunities, education, when it even comes to health care. So already women are already sitting at a deficit. And when you come now and place COVID into that situation, throwing COVID into that situation, I think it has worsened for many women across the continent. And women are really struggling, really, really struggling to get the attention of governments, to even get the attention of multilateral organizations such as the African Union or the WHO in this country. Statistics are showing that a lot of women are concentrated in the informal sector. More women are going hungry every single day. A lot of unemployment is also affecting women. And most of these women are also being affected through their mental health, where we have a lot of women in the continent who are already dying from suicide because they just can't afford their debt. And they also can't bear the brunt anymore of providing for their families in such tense economic, social, and political tensions.
1: Now, Omte, you've given us a lot to chew on in that response, and many questions do arise from that. But now we know that women have been affected differently and are going to continue being affected differently. And if we had to have all the presidents of the 54 countries on our continent in a room... What are some of the key considerations you would ask for them to take when implementing COVID restrictions, more particularly in protecting women? And what have you seen now on the continent that have been genuine attempts to protect women from some of the things we've spoken about earlier?
0: I think the latter is quite difficult to (laughs) respond to because this is the cry of most Grassroot movements of most feminist movements coming from civil society through pay the grads movements through women and access to healthcare. A lot of grassroots movements, a lot of movements from civil society or efforts from civil society, have really been pushing for women to be attended more to, especially when it comes to COVID budgets. But I don't think the response has been efficient enough, and this is. Some of the things that I'm going to relate to in the first part of the question is that if states or heads of states would be in one room, issues that would arise firstly is financial security and insurance. As I've said, most women laborers are concentrated in the informal sector. COVID certificates is costing close to $50 dollars to just purchase or to have in order for informal traders to operate in their different spaces, be that informal cross-border trading, be that food trading on the streets of Kenya or on the streets of Gabon, it's expensive for them to operate their trades in their different countries. And I don't think when it came to policy work or thinking up to how to protect informal workers, they were never included within those plans. And I think this is something states really need to reconsider because informal workers are not only carrying our African economies, uh, not only just the backbones of our African economies, but because they feed the nations, they employ people, they do more than just the informal trade that is negatively spoken about on different social media platforms or in different literature. But it's just one of the key things for me. I think states really need to consider in how better to protect women informal workers in our continent. And it comes again to health care. I don't think our governments have taken sexual reproductive health seriously, especially when it comes to attending to diseases and attending to certain illnesses that affect women and women are constantly being thrown into spaces that are without sanitation and also screening of different problems such as cervical cancer which when you are prone to cervical cancer you are more prone to getting COVID and you are more prone to dying or being affected through death and I think these are some of the issues in which states really need to reconsider and think about even having clinics that are specifically centered around women issues, women diseases, women illnesses in different communities, especially in rural communities where people do not have the access to actually get themselves screened for sort of diseases that are actually living in their bodies, but they're not even sure what they do to their bodies and what they're about. I think another thing for me is again, financial assistance to a lot of women, different owned companies, trade groups, who really need to be part of rebuilding the economies. We talk about infrastructure, we talk about the African Free Trade Agreement, but the African Free Trade Agreement also doesn't have anything that is tangible for the 70% of women that are involved in trade in the country. It has nothing tangible for them. And I think that we really need to reconsider how to not only include women in our development plans but to actually fund them fund them in a way that sets them apart with the past historical gaps when it comes to funding, when it comes to women participating in economic situations in our different countries and I think our heads of states and our continents really, really need to start reconsidering how they use up their budgets, especially when it comes to women. Education, the budget needs to be beefed up there when it comes to educating more women into different spheres of society, not just only the professional degrees such as medicine, engineering, which are important, but the arts is dying and we are not preserving a particular history and a lot of history about women on the continent is being lost because no one is actually funding that project. And I think these are things that we really, really need to reconsider, especially in the changing of times as well. Even with the fourth industrial revolution, there needs to be more presence of women in the digital space, in the digital space and governance as well. So all of these things are things that I think heads of states need to really reconsider, reimagine, and women also need to be part of that conversation and not um, them being reimagined when they are not part of the conversation.
1: Now Omkle, to touch on a few things you've mentioned in your answer. You mentioned the African Free Trade Agreement, which is meant to really change the way African countries trade with each other. Truly, I believe, a phenomenal agreement and something that could change lives of many Africans. And you shared a statistic that many people probably have never thought of that the 70% of women who participate in our economy have been affected by this pandemic on the continent. What does this participation look like for women on the continent? And how has it since changed because of the pandemic? If you can paint us a picture of that.
0: I think for most of the past years where especially black African women have been allowed to trade at a very small scale. So it doesn't grow beyond an SMME. So it goes from informal cross-border trading to a small business, but it really does not expand unless you are really part of the 1% who are mostly funded by either a European organization or organizations just outside of the African continent. And these women have really been Part of not only creating trade routes around the continent, but they have been employing people. They have been central to the moving of goods across different borders, across different countries, across different creeds, cultural contexts. Um, there's really just been that transnational culture in which women through trade have been building. But because they are not funded and because Their trade is not reported on as much as it would be reported on as on big multilateral corporations and how men are trading in the continent. It's then undermined and it seems like it's a small contribution when it's really not. Um, And I think without these informal businesses or SMMEs, a lot of things wouldn't be moving. As they were during the time of hard lockdowns in different countries, we started seeing a rise in food scarcity again because a lot of informal traders couldn't even take maize meal from Johannesburg to Harare. A lot of people couldn't move fish from Malawi to Gambia. So there was a lot of stop when it comes to food processing, an increase in food insolvency in different countries because. Informal cross-border traders or small SMMEs couldn't operate their businesses during hard lockdowns because of how high tariffs were during the time. They didn't have the right documentations. Governments were being very difficult with women who traded during that time and things came to a standstill. And they now had to go into a mode of diversifying their income and spreading out their time spreading out their energy, their labor and their resources into different types of activities in order to just make ends meet. And I think... With the African Free Trade Agreement, it must not be ignored that women-owned SMMEs and their small informal businesses play a huge role in trade, play a huge role in the blue economy. They play a huge role in the logistics of moving around of goods. And if we keep ignoring and not wanting to fund not wanting to even assist them with the particular resources we need in order to continue to accelerate into trade within each other. We are going to miss out on an opportunity in empowering close to 80% of the population in our continent. And I really think it's pertinent that we pay close attention to the needs of women in this space, the needs of also entrepreneurs who are women who also want to enter into the trade arena without being frustrated or without being pushed out because of their gender.
1: And you also mentioned feminism. There's been many strides taken by feminists across the continent to move the plight of women forward, to make life easier. After this pandemic, where do some of those moves stand? Have we taken two steps back? Are we stagnant? Is everything gone? Is it too much? Is it a lost cause? Where do we stand on our plight to move things forward, really, on the continent?
0: I think with feminism, you can never get because it's an ideology that's built on genuine intentions to move the gender struggle forward. And I think you can see that it's through feminist work that we've been able to kind of hold um, different Different stakeholders accountability, but to also hold the com- com- different communities of, of women, um, together during this time or provide of all or how women provide and interact with each other during this time. And I think with COVID-19, there was a demobilization when it comes to mobilizing feminists around the continent and mobilizing feminist work also around the continent and i think the feminist movements were struggling a bit in the beginning but now we've familiarized ourselves with the digital space with also just the restrictions when it comes to movement and and we we are learning new ways and new tactics in how to penetrate the space in which we are in now to make sure that nobody gets left behind in progress. And I think because of the lack of government responsibility and the lack of attention when it comes to gender inequality, a lot of women in our different countries in Africa find themselves in these spaces of vulnerability. It's an issue of negligence and it's an issue of just bad governance and an issue of not wanting to move forward from historical or previous ways when it comes to gendered attitudes. And I think now, because of feminist movements, we've been able to continue holding each other in different parts of the continent to try to move each other forward. But I think we should be careful of context and always try to Give each other an ear as different feminists across the continent without overpowering the main point of the movement. And that is to move our gender struggles forward.
1: Moving our gender struggles forward. And I think that brings me to my next question. Moving forward a new un study shows that the covid-19 pandemic has had a far-reaching and diverse effects on women as you have illustrated in this interview and girls from east to southern africa and will set back global efforts to achieve most gender related issues as you've just shared in your mm-hmm. opinion do you feel that we could ever recover as women on this continent from the impact of the pandemic? And not
0: only recover,
1: but do you feel that we could progress further? That's a very
0: interesting question because I think with the hard lockdowns, women have been finding ways to be innovative in their survival strategies. Have we recovered fully or can we ever recover fully? I'm going to give an optimistic answer. answer and I say there is a vision for it when we are talking about women and women alone but it's difficult to kind of see the vision going on forward or kind of seeing us recovering as a population of women on the continent without feeling that we are constantly being put 10 step backs every time when you push back against the tide it just comes back tumbling down and I really, really do hope that if we work with each other and we don't work in silos as different women movements or feminist groups across the nation, the different nations that are in Africa, there's going to be much more strength towards working, towards better progress and development in our different countries. It really, really, it's not up to us, obviously, to change a lot of things that are happening in our society. It takes a lot of efforts from different stakeholders, even society itself, and just changing their attitudes towards women. But it really, really is going to be much of an impact if we stick together. And it's something that is difficult to do especially because of a lack of funding, a lack of resources. But I do believe that women have the capacity to be innovative. Women have the capacity to solve through different hard situations and bring solutions on the table that actually speak to changing a situation and moving it forward. And I really do believe we do it better than most of the population. And I think it's really excited about also young women movements and feminist movements that are also starting to participate. So just bridging the generational gaps between women movements is also very important. And you can start seeing a transfer of ideas, transfer of skills with each other to just move each other forward and in progress, but not exempting the abuse that women have faced from different governments across the continent. We even saw it in the NSAS movement. We even saw it with women trying to rise up for political freedom in Chad in all these other different countries. So I'm really not exempting governments from taking accountability from the way that they've been exploiting and the way that they have just abused women's rights, their human rights on the continent, especially during COVID. And I believe that multilateral organizations should be less lenient on states that do that, and they should be more watch and uh, more condemning from society when it comes to just the political demobilization of women trying to move forward in their different countries.
1: Moving forward in our countries and how that can be done. Now, um, on me and you have to acknowledge our positionality and that we do stand in a better position than many of mm. our counterparts on the continent. How do we, as me and you sitting here in this conversation, or to the listener who is listening to this, how do we do more for the next woman next to us outside of fighting these battles, outside having these conversations, outside of holding space for each other? What can be done to improve our next woman's stance for us who are sitting here?
0: I think, as I said previously, it comes with understanding your points of privilege and where you are making your comments from or your opinions from. But when it comes to women movements, I think first things first, communication is key. Women coming from a more privileged background, a more privileged position, need to learn to listen to other women. They really need to learn also the context in which women are speaking from, in which they live from, and which they also come up with their solutions that fit their context. I think context and understanding context is very and highly important. And I think also not taking up space in spaces where we shouldn't be taking up space. I think we should learn this of rising up to an occasion and allowing space for other women to do so in different contexts as well. I think we should be cognizant of giving support to our different collectives are across the continent through what they ask of from us. If they are asking for resources, we mobilize resources. If they are asking us to speak up, we then speak up. I think it's very important to do what we are invited to do in that space. And I guess then that also builds then a relationship of trust and it also builds a much more greater rooted relationship of knowing that um, there's good intention that is coming from down the south, especially to the rest of the continent as well. Because we have been known to be bullies in our different political offices, governance offices, in our civil societies as well. And I think that is an attitude we really should start changing and should change. And I'm hopeful that this new generation is coming more with a listening ear, an ear that wants to watch, see, and learn before they impose themselves on different women around the continent, given their creed, cultural beliefs, their sexuality. So it's really important for us to be invited into a space and do what we are invited to do in that space instead of doing what we think we should be doing.
1: Overall, just working in the different spaces to what extent we've been invited to. Now, Omle, before I let you go from this conversation that really I wish never ended, what are some of the key takeaways you'd like to share after this interview? And what should our listener carry
0: with them going forward? I think the key takeaway for me is social cohesion when it comes to bridging gender inequality is very important. And I don't think it's something that we talk more of. What is society supposed to be doing outside of government, outside of corporate? And I think we need to start talking more about the home. We need to start talking more about our educational institutions and how they view gender and how they view women. I think that is an interesting topic to talk about and to see how the pandemic has also affected those different spaces and how women then are being talked about in those spaces, how women are also coping in those different spaces as lecturers, as students. It's super important for us to not forget the social incubators of societies that really are driving force to a lot of societal attitudes that we carry today. And I think those are just some of the spaces that I think we really need to also just delve into and talk about as well so many conversations to
1: have and just not enough time to have them, unfortunately, here on The COVID Report. Thank you so much, Umph Jingila, for joining us here on The COVID Report. And as always, on, honoring any invitation I give you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And yeah. It's been a pleasure.
0: This podcast was brought to you by Voice of Vids. By Voice of Vitz. To hear more of our shows, tune in to 88.1. 88.1. Or streams Stream. via www.vafm.co.za.